two, three. Welcome back, Holy Messes, to another episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Uh, this is going to be episode 31, and uh, I want to welcome a special guest to the show. Uh, he has uh, many different names. No, not many different names. <laughs> uh, I was just watching the, the, the video, uh, a video that he did about uh, when his uh, parents were deciding to name him. Um, so, no, but Father David Michael, Father David Michael Moses, uh, welcome to a holy mess with his holy mess, Father Paul. I'm absolutely honored that you're here. Thanks. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, well, no, thank you. Yeah, I've uh, obviously, this is the first time you and I have ever have ever met. Um, and so the questions that I'm going to be asking you really for the listeners are my own curious questions too, because I'm very excited to have Father uh, David on the show. And by the way, is it Father David or is it actually David Michael? Is it all one? I've word? always gone by both. I, I know it's a long, I know it's a long name. Um, it's my parents' fault. I thought about going by my last name, Father Moses, but Father Moses just sounds like I'm like 150 years old. Yeah, like it just yeah. does not fit my face. So I do go by both Father David and Michael together. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I just refer to you as father, if you could tell. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that I'm, always I'm, works, right? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's David Moser or David Michael, but um, for those that don't know, uh, Father, where what diocese are you with, uh, and uh, where are you a priest? Yeah, so I'm with the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and I'm in kind of the northern part of the Archdiocese, uh, the greater Houston area. It's called a, a necessity called Spring. Christ the Good Shepherd is the parish that I'm at. And uh, when were you ordained? Just a couple years ago, right? Yeah, I'm coming up on my fourth anniversary, so I'm 29 now. Oh, that's awesome! I was I was 29 when uh when I was ordained. So you you were ordained when you were 25? Yeah, it's just kind of how it worked out. That's powerful. And you're coming up on four years. Uh, what's your actual date? What's the anniversary date? June 1st. What's All yours? Right. Uh, May 28th. Okay, May there 20, you go. You, May 28th. You guys had them early. Yeah, we had a little. Oh, it's always Memorial Day weekend here uh, in the uh, Archdiocese of Newark. I was uh coming up on 12, uh, May 28, 2011, and you're coming up on four. That's awesome. Uh, Father, I, the, the reason why I wanted to have you on this show is because uh, I, I've seen you on social media, um, you know, in, in one sense, and my listeners will know what I'm talking about here, you know, in one sense, I don't know if the proper word is like jealous or envious, but uh, <laughs> no, 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 like awesome. But like you're doing stuff that that has been a desire of mine for like a really long time. Uh, and, and you're doing it really well, professional. And one thing that I like, you know, about any type of art is the actual quality of it and, and the beauty of it and your videos and your, your music. Like it, it's not sometimes in the, in the, you know, just to be real in the Christian metaverse or, or whatever, or with movies, there's a little bit of corniness to the art. And, um, but, but your videos to me, have that uh, that that I don't want to call it the it factor, but that beauty and that really that artistic quality that actually is like it seems like it's it's true good and beautiful, uh, and a lot of people forget about you know beauty being one of our you know the uh, essentials uh, of our faith. We focus on truth so much, we focus on goodness, morality, uh, but we don't often focus on beauty. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that I see that you portray in the quality of your videos. Is that something that that like is is cognizant that you were thinking of that or how, how did you go about this? How did you go about this whole 
amazing social media. I mean, it's more of the social media ministry. You're a priest. But how, how did this get started? Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you just saying that, um, that, that, that it's connected with you. That, that means a lot coming from a, a brother priest. And honestly, for me, I started making videos for my youth group in, in high school, you know, and then I, when I went off to seminary, um, I had previously had a job making videos at the art gallery in college. And uh, I asked the rector of the seminary, I said, hey, I've got some video equipment. Should I even bother bringing it? You know, should I just kind of move on? And he was like, no, please bring it. We'll use it. You know, we'll make some videos here. And so I got kind of connected with the seminary doing that. And there were so many moments. And I don't know if you have a similar, had a similar experience. So many moments in seminary where I thought, gosh, people need to see this. Like, this is beautiful. Like hanging out with these guys who all want to go to heaven, who all want to save souls. Like, this is so cool. And if I had seen this before, it would have helped my discernment a lot. And that feeling kind of carried into priesthood the first, you know, six or seven months of priesthood, just saying, gosh, this is awesome. Like these moments that I'm getting to experience with people, um, the funny moments in the office or the really beautiful moments and anointings, um, just being over at family's houses for dinner. I just had so many moments where there was like this real deep internal burning to just share it with people. Like people just need this. I almost felt selfish, like experiencing these things and like not sharing it with other people. And so that's why I initially was like, you know what? It was one Friday, about six months into priesthood. I, the next day I was baptized in quintuplets and I had a wedding and I had a young adult event. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bring my camera and just film some stuff. And so I charged my batteries and I filmed it and I was kind of editing it a few days later. And I thought, gosh, this is, this is really conveying the the feeling that I have living this like I feel like this video is conveying that to the the viewer and so um people seem to respond to it really well um because you know we have so many really polished vocation materials which I think is good you know beautiful orchestral music and these beautiful shots of statues and churches and a guy sharing how the Lord called him I think there's a real need for that um but one of the awesome parts about being a priest is just the everyday living of it you know so that's what I really felt called to share and uh, people seem to have responded to it well. And what I found interesting is I thought only young guys thinking about priesthood would be interested in the videos. And what I found is like, no, your average Catholic is kind of curious about what the heck priests do all day, you know? So I was um, kind of surprised by that response, but I love what you said in the question that you feel like in our culture, well, even in the church, maybe we, we talk quite a bit about what's good and what's true but we sometimes miss out on just what's beautiful. And I think that's like, even like with a homily, like sometimes I'll write a homily, right? And it's, I'm sure you have this experience. It's good. Like it's a good homily. It's good stuff. It's about virtue and living a good Christian life. And it's true. Like everything I'm saying is true and it's orthodox, but it's just not beautiful. <laughs> you know, like it's not conveying like the zeal for souls that you want people to have. Like it, no one's going to hear this and be like, gosh, I really want to be holy. They're just going to be like, yeah, that was true, you know? And so I think um, for me, social media, kind of maybe using the homily analogy, with a homily, even if it's not that beautiful, people pretty much have to sit till the end. Like very few people are going to get up and walk out during a homily because it's not interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but social media, they have so many other options. They can click something else whenever they want. YouTube's offering them tons of other suggestions. If they don't like this video, there's all these other ones they can watch. And so I think social media does challenge us as evangelists, whether you're a priest or not, to really create something beautiful because people can so easily go to something else. Um, so that's a little bit, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's a little bit about, you know, for me, kind of what my approach is and why I got started.
No, 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 absolutely. You did answer the question. And, but the one thing that piqued my interest when you were saying it is that, are you doing, I mean, are you doing all this by yourself? Are you recording the, the, these videos and editing them completely on your own? Or do you have some, like a, a team? I mean, how did, how did you baptize quadruplets, do a wedding, <laughs> you know, and then you had a young adult thing and it was like, all right, let me bring my camera. I mean, especially with the quality you're, that, that you're doing. And maybe, maybe this is, you know, technical stuff that I'm interested in. No, I, it's fun to that. talk about for me. People don't always ask those questions. So it's, it's, it's fun stuff. Um, no, for me, especially the beginning, I was, I was really filming almost all of it myself. Um, you know, now they were like the young adult event. People just had cell phone videos they'd had. That's the kind of what's cool about the, the world we're living in now is you can do something and afterwards be like, does anyone have a video of that? And somebody will probably have a video of it, you know? So I was able to splice in some of that stuff. Um, but early on, uh, especially like there was a video with my brother on my day off, we went out and I was really happy with like the production quality of that one. And I filmed all of that myself, all the drone shots, edited everything, put in all the music, all the sound stuff. Um, since then I have had some people who have offered to help thankfully. So in certain cases, I'll have somebody film if I'm doing something or I'll have occasionally have somebody edit the videos and then I'll just kind of do the voiceover for it. Um, and I do have somebody who just actually posts for me. So I don't have to post on Instagram, then go post on Facebook and then go post on YouTube. And when I really need to be like in a staff meeting or hearing confessions or something. So, um, I have some people that help with that, but in terms of actually creating the content, um, still pretty much me because i usually have a pretty specific idea of what um what i want the message i want conveyed that's great no that that that's awesome that, that that's a place that uh and we'll, we'll talk that's a place that hoping uh hopefully i'll get to one day um father where where did this all come from so obviously you're a catholic priest coming up on four years um where did your vocation come from you know uh why are you a priest now uh, i mean i read some things about you but i don't want to tell the people i want it to come from you um you're a young guy you were ordained at the age of 25 from texas uh in a nutshell what what's your story why are you yeah here? yeah so like the, the two-minute version is that i uh grew up in a good catholic family my parents were both converts to the faith my mom was a southern baptist dad was a lutheran and they converted uh just a few years before i was born just really connecting with the church's teachings. And uh, so I grew up Catholic, was an altar server growing up. And I did, I really did appreciate from a young age, the value of being close to the sacrifice of the Eucharist. That for me was like, if this is really Jesus, then this is probably the most important thing I'm doing each week. You know, like this may not be the most fun thing I'm doing each week, um, but it's probably the most important. You had that thought and, as a little kid. Yeah, no, for sure. Praise God. Um, I really felt that. But the and so people because of that, you might have had this too, you know, as a young man involved in the faith, people would say, even when I was a little kid, oh, you'd be such a cute little priest, you know, but also from a young age, I really wanted to get married. Um, I, I liked girls, you know, I had crushes on girls when I was 10. And I, I really thought I was supposed to get married. And that because I wanted to get married, that meant I wasn't supposed to be a priest. So I didn't think seriously about priesthood until I went on a silent retreat when I was 16. And just the silence being away from the world. Um, I just felt that mysterious call that you felt that, you know, all of us priests felt um, of just the Lord kind of saying, it might be you, it might be you I'm calling. And at one point, the priest on the retreat said, you should choose the vocation that will make you a saint. And that hit me like, oh, priesthood. And, and then I was like, why do I think priesthood? You know, and so I, I told the priest on the retreat, just what I was feeling. I was like, I'm kind of feeling called the priesthood, but I just really like girls, you know. And he said, hey, that's totally normal. That's fine. Uh, God still might be calling you and you have to take that seriously. And so I was like, okay, you know, like I'm not off the hook. 
I need to really invest in this. And so I started going to daily mass every day. I started college when I was really young. So at that point, I was able with my college schedule to, to go to mass every day. And uh, that was just super transformative for me in deepening my prayer life and my love of the Eucharist and my love of what a priest can do for people. I, and I wanted to help people. And I thought, what more could I do for somebody than literally give them Jesus in the Eucharist and literally forgive their sins and confession? Like that would probably be worth giving my life to. Um, so, you know, dated a couple girls in high school, but, you know, all, the whole time really felt like the Lord wanted something else for me. So I eventually called the vocations director and um, kind of along the way, I got the signs I felt like I needed uh, to kind of confirm that the Lord wanted me to take that next step. And um, I guess for me, the big thing I, I kind of reflect on these days is, you know, at a certain point in my discernment, I was kind of telling God, you know, I really don't want to be a priest. I don't want to have to be celibate. I don't want to have to give up my freedom, you know, have to give up whatever my dreams were and just go wherever the bishop tells you, you know, like I really hope I don't have to be a priest. And then somewhere along the way, it clicked for me what being a priest meant that, you know, you and I are so close to Jesus Christ that when we take a bread, a piece of bread and we say, this is my body, Jesus makes it his body every single time. And now when someone comes into confession and we say, I absolve you from your sins in the first person, I, Jesus absolves their sins. Like we say it and he does it every single time because we're so close now. Like we're so close to Jesus Christ that we speak for him. And, and when you realize that, I mean, I mean, I went from saying, gosh, I sure hope I don't have to be a priest to saying, oh my gosh, like I sure hope he chooses me. I sure hope he chooses me to, to literally do his work here on earth. And, and now for me, I'm just constantly, I mean, I'm, I'm sure for you too, there's just so many moments where I'm like, I can't believe this exists. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't believe God thought this was a good idea to give me this kind of role in shepherding his people and literally bringing them salvation in the sacraments. Like it's just, insane to me that God even thought this was a good idea <laughs> like to, to let me be a part of this and so now I'm just yeah there's as we know there's tons of sacrifices involved in this but the sacrifice gives it meaning and ultimately like there's just nothing else I want to do with my life at this point yeah well I mean thanks for saying that and especially there's a couple things that you said that I I, I want to go back and touch on but, you know, I uh, thank you for saying that you were like, yeah, well, I just, you know, I liked girls and I, I thought, well, because I like girls, maybe I'm not called to the priesthood. And it's like, no, like that. I mean, thank goodness you did. Right. You know, yeah. what I mean? like the, because, you know, I had that thing, too. <laughs> it reminded me of what you said, because I went into the seminary August uh, 2005 uh, at 23 years old and I was at a big christian music festival in new hampshire that summer uh and there was like a big there was like a, a like a small but 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 big uh catholic population there it was a, it was a protestant festival but uh, uh you know we had catholic mass every day and i was helping out with something and i don't know i was so nervous about going to seminary i was so nervous and i said in front of about like 
3,000 people. I said, uh, do me a favor. I was making an announcement for the festival, and I said, just do me a favor because I'm entering the priesthood next week, and like I really, really like women. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, great. You just and, <laughs> said it all. Yeah, and, and they, they laughed, and they said, well, well, thank goodness, because then you have what it yeah. takes to, to be a father and to be a right. spiritual a spiritual father and a, and a spiritual husband to the bride of Christ, you know? So like, yeah, we, we, we are men. There's nothing, there's nothing to apologize about that, you know, right. but it's what we do with that. And, uh, and then I learned a lot more of that, you know, in the summer. So I wanted to just, you know, thank you for saying that. And uh, for, you know, obviously the priest that you spoke with and, and your discernment, um, you know, throughout it needs high to be school. said. Yeah. I think you're right. Like it needs to be said because if young guys think that them liking girls means they're not supposed to be a priest, <laughs> we're, we're losing vocations. You know, I, I, I preached a homily about my vocation story once. And I remember afterwards someone said, father, like, well, that was beautiful. Like, thank you so much for being so vulnerable. And I was like, Oh, uh, about what? And they were like, oh, about saying that you liked girls in high school. And I was like, is that some kind of like revelation to people that high school guys are attracted to females? <laughs> like, is that some kind of new info for people? You know, like this is, this is very natural, normal stuff. And, 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 and to be able actually to choose the bride of Christ over everything else that you would have wanted is exactly what points people to heaven. Right. I mean, like, that's why Jesus says celibacy is for the sake of the kingdom. Cause by really wanting something, but choosing something else that shows how much you value that thing and really, you know, lifts people's eyes to something more eternal. So it ends up being a real gift, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the sacrifice, right? It's, it's choosing, it's not between like a good or a bad, they're, they're two goods, right? Marriage, women, the, you know, that's a good, that's a healthy good. And then the priesthood is a good. And, you know, it, probably the number one question that I get from people that really aren't into their faith is like, well, what, did you just not want to be married or did you not like women? I'm like, no, like the complete opposite, you right. know, and I'm not here to tell my story, but no, I just want to thank you for saying that and with leading with that, because I think that's meant to be said. The, the second thing that I like to go back to real quick is um, you saying that uh, you went to college at a very young age, which I did read. So I, and I find it very interesting. So what age did you go to college? And, and, and let's just start with what age you went to college. Yeah. So just the, you know, to preface it by saying I was homeschooled till I was in eighth grade, okay. which definitely gives you a little bit more flexibility when it comes to education. And my mom was just always looking for kind of creative ways um, to challenge us. And so the second semester of my eighth grade year, she enrolled me in a program at the college where high schoolers could take college classes and they call it dual credit classes. Probably a lot of people listening have heard of that. You're a high schooler, but you take a college class and it counts for your college credit and your high school credit. So it's kind of a way to get some extra credits before college. But usually you don't do it to like your junior and senior year of high school and you do like two classes a semester. My mom just kind of had me start doing it in eighth grade. And then the next semester, she basically was like, is there any reason why my son can't do this full time? And they were like, yeah, sure. We'll have to get permission from the dean, but we think we can make it happen. So basically when I was 14, I was just taking a full load of college classes. So it was never really the plan. It was just kind of, that was the next step. So, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but by the time I was 18, I mean, I had my four-year degree, my bachelor's degree. 
So um, my friends were graduating from high school and I was graduating from college, just kind of how it worked out. And, and so that's, I entered the seminary at that point, which is why I ended up getting ordained so young is, is kind of because of that. So it's just kind of oh, how it worked out. Did you skip high school? Cause I heard you went from eighth grade to college. So that's essentially what happened. It was dual credit classes. So a lot of it counted for high school, but um, essentially that's pretty much what it was is we kind of just uh, jumped high school. Were you always like a, an intelligent academic they always did really good in that's school. the thing like it wasn't like I, it was anything crazy i don't think um I, I think i was relatively disciplined which helped you know with the college classes um and i think my parents in my homeschooling you know, really tried to set me up for success but it wasn't like there was anything really crazy happening to be honest with you i think a lot more people could do it if they wanted to um i've never really heard of anybody replicating that same model but i think people should because it really worked out really well for me did you enjoy the the homeschooling experience? Like it, to anybody that's out, you know listening out there, that's like I don't know about this homeschooling thing. Is there anything that you can speak to that of of maybe the the good that has come from that? Oh yeah, I'm, I was a huge fan of it. I mean, homeschooling basically gives you a lot more options, which can be misused, right? Like if the parents really aren't engaging it and the kids aren't applying themselves, it can be really terrible. But in most cases, it's happening because the parents are very engaged in the life of their children, especially the intellectual life. And if the kids are responding to it well, I think it's an awesome way, especially in today's world. I mean, in some cases, the schools are raising your kids and they're telling your kids what to believe. Well, I wouldn't even say the schools. I would say the other kids in the child's school are raising the child. And now with your cell phone and the stuff that the, the friend of the friend has on their cell phone is now on your kid's cell phone or they're just seeing their cell phone at school. I think homeschooling is a really good option to make, make sure that you're setting your child up for success um, morally, religiously, academically. Um, and then my parents were always really good about engaging us in social activities. So we were involved in lots of different groups. Um, I played a lot of sports growing up, so I was with my peers, but in pretty well controlled environments. So yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of homeschooling. When you went to the seminary, was that the first time you were actually like in class with, with other people because you were homeschooled? The, was the seminary and living at the seminary the first time, uh, kind of just being in that type of community? So certainly like living that kind of community was definitely new. I had, um, so I'd been taking college classes in person. So I had a sense of what the college environment was like, um, certainly. And then, you know, with friends and stuff, I, mean, I went to summer camps and things like that. So you had some experiences of it, but certainly moving into the dorm and everything was, was definitely very new for me. Um, but I think it, it, you know, it was a pretty smooth transition. And how, how many years were you in the seminar? Eight? So it was seven for me. I did two years of pre-theology and then we do a pastoral year and then four years of theology. So and where'd you go? So I did two years at seminary in Dallas, a Holy Trinity, and then five years here in Houston, St. Mary's Seminary. So it was nice to have a seminary in the home diocese. Yeah, uh, they have, me too. Yeah, we we have it here over. You at have one there. That's really nice to be close to your close to your people. You know. Yeah, I was so grateful. Yeah, very grateful. And uh, what? How was that experience for you? I mean, being being in the seminary. I mean, seven years. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> as much as you want to say or whatever. Before we get into your priesthood, but what was the seminary like? No, it was, I was surprised. Um, I love the fact that we were praying so much. Um, I expected the classes. I was su pleasantly surprised how much fun it was, you know, just hanging out with the other dudes there, you know, like these guys are holy. Um, they want to save souls. Just being together in that way 
um, was, was really awesome. I wasn't expecting that. And it was a huge encouragement for me through formation to know that I was going into battle with these guys, you know, like that's, we were getting ready to save souls and, and, and we were gearing up to go into battle and we were doing it together. And um, I'm still just consistently so grateful for the guys I was in seminary with, even the guys who ended up turning out. And that happens a lot. Guys will leave and go get married. But, you know, we're all still trying to save souls in, in our churches, domestic or, or not. And then certainly the guys who became priests with to be able to minister with him now is awesome. Having gone through seminary together. So um, it was difficult. There's so much to do. You know, as you know, it's like there are just so many different things you've got to take care of. But I think that the trial builds endurance for the vocation, as St. Paul says. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, your, your diocese has a lot of vocations, right? Is that's one of the dioceses known for a lot of vocation, homegrown vocations. Am I right about that? I mean, I feel like we're doing well with it, but there's just so many more needed. I mean, we have, I think almost close to 2 million Catholics now and mm -hmm. probably maybe 50 guys in the seminary and 50 guys for our diocese. Our seminary has more from other dioceses, obviously, but, um, we need a lot more to be covering, um, what's needed, especially with, the sacraments of like confession and things like that. So, but I'm so, I, I'm so hopeful for the future. I think such good things are coming. Uh, praise God. All right. So you ordained the priest, you get ordained and what were you assigned as a parochial vicar? Yeah, exactly. So that's are you in that same parish? No, I just moved last summer. So I'm about 10 months into my second assignment. Okay. All right. And were you, I mean, just like, bam, you started off right away first parish and did the like because we're going to get into some of the the ministries that you have and the the things that you do um was it just like all right uh, here i go or did you like have a plan like okay i'm gonna get ordained um <laughs> uh, uh i'm gonna you know start like this awesome social media ministry uh, i'm gonna do concerts uh, i'm a musician uh, i'm gonna do concerts for life and uh i'm gonna start this uh pilgrim rosary is that what it's called uh -huh, uh -huh. So you have a bunch of these. I did my homework. I did my homework, Father. I'm impressed. Um, yeah, I did my homework. So, um, what was yeah? What, what was that like for you? Because you're four years in, and like you're you're a famous priest. You're known. So, like, how, how did this happen? No, I mean, for me, I just showed up, and I hope the people liked me, and that they liked the homilies, and I didn't do anything stupid. You know, um, I was just so thankful to um, to be a priest and to get to minister. And, and it's kind of interesting. So the first parish I was at is the newest parish in the archdiocese. So they started this church um, about 10 years ago now. And the Cardinal basically sent the priest out there with a piece of land, had 17 acres, nothing on it, and just said, start a church. And that was it. So he starts going around to different places and uh, they start having mass in an elementary school gym. And within one year, they have a thousand registered families just crazy growth that they have just one year in and um, they continue to grow still having mass in the elementary school gym on the weekends. I don't even have a building yet. They eventually get like a chapel somewhere. And then about three years in, they build uh, this, this pretty nice multi-purpose building. They start to have mass, but it's still like not even like a, um, like a churchy church yet. It, you know, it's, it's, it's consecrated by the Bishop. Um, but when I got there, they had about 5,000 families. They had 2,300 kids in faith formation. The average age was 20. And there's just so much life in this parish. I mean, they had Easter masses. Um, they had an Easter mass once with 3,000 people at one mass. Um, so for me, starting my priesthood in that environment was just like, like 
I, I gave my life to something that was worth giving my life to, you know, like the people are just really, um, really hungry for the sacraments and for the church. And the priest there was such a good pastor to me and so helpful and encouraging. Um, kind of funny. So he was a, he actually came over here from uh, Vietnam as a refugee and had a really you know difficult time coming over. And uh, so he was 12 years old when he came over. And so his stories and his homilies are like talking about, um, you know, getting bit by scorpions on this deserted island that's coming over and the boats and then like waking up and going to daily mass and getting shot at, you know, wherever he was at. And that's like his stories and his homilies. And then the next week, like I'm giving the homily and it's like, so on my family's ski trip, you know, it was really cold, you know, it's just like, it's just not hitting the same way. You know? Um, but I was so thankful to be with him and hopefully we were a good combo and a good one, two punch. Um, so no, the, when I started there, I was just really, uh, just loving being a priest, which is actually where some of the other, you know, ministries, if you call them that, uh, kind of came out of is like, gosh, this is so beautiful. I really, it was like kind of spilling over. Like, I want to share this with, with more people. Um, the cons for life I'd actually been doing since I started seminary. My dad was very involved in, in pro-life work. Um, he actually went to jail 13 times for pro-life stuff before I was born. No but way. That, yeah. Kind of, kind of crazy. They, uh, really? yeah, quick, maybe we can, maybe that's another I'm podcast gonna, episode. I'm going to get him on sometime. <laughs> you should. He's got some crazy stories. Um, you really should. Long story short, that, that they were working, they worked with the bishop on this. So I wouldn't recommend somebody just go do this rogue. They were working with the bishop, but they'd get a bunch of guys to lay down in front of the abortion clinics and uh, just peacefully lay there which obviously made it very difficult for people to get into the building. Yeah. So the police would come and haul them away. And the charge was technically trespassing. But for them, um, legally, if you think a life is in danger, then you can trespass, right? And they definitely believe a life was in danger. So um, they would kind of go limp and the police would spend the whole day taking them away. And it took up all the, all the resources basically of the centers to the point where all the abortion clinics in Corpus Christi, where they were at the time, they all shut down over the course of a couple of years. Um, uh, yeah, I went to jail 13 times. At one point he was sentenced to six months in jail. Um, he served, I think about three months of that. Um, and then eventually the bishop said, how about we pivot and really focus on the women who are having their babies and really ministering to them. And so that's when they started the Gabor project actually, which is in a lot of parishes now. And, uh, the Gabriel project, Gabriel project. Um, it's in a lot of parishes here um, to help women who are, who are pregnant, you know, and are scared. Um, so all that to say, he's still very involved in a, one of the biggest parish uh, pregnancy help centers in the country here in Houston, Houston pregnancy help centers. And before I entered seminary, he said, Hey, you know, they've been looking at doing a different kind of fundraiser. You know, you play all the in instruments, you write all these songs. Why don't we do like a concert to fundraise for them? And so we did that first concert before I entered seminary and we had about 300 people come and raised about, $70,000. And we're just really excited about that. First time. And kind of, got, yeah, the first time. Yeah. And so and you were the main act. It was just me. <laughs> no, it was no, just no. me. No. So, right, so let's get it. So what have you, what do you, what do you play? You, you've always, you play everything. You've always been a musician. You're a singer songwriter. So I started playing um, a little bit of piano when I was probably seven or eight years old, uh, ended up quitting, but kept kind of kept the chord progression so I can kind of get around with piano and then started taking guitar lessons when I was 10 and then playing bass guitar is pretty easy once you can play guitar. 
And then um, we needed a drummer for a retreat for uh, something at, 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 at the youth group. So I started so playing the drums. And then once you know guitar, like I just picked up banjo and ukulele and mandolin. Those are pretty easy, I think, at that point. So um, and then I started writing songs when I was probably 10 or 11 about about different things. And so by the time we had that concert, you know, I was playing a bunch of different instruments just to kind of make it entertaining. And I wrote all the songs. It was 17 or 18 songs that I had written. And, uh, you know, it went well. Um, I had a lot of fun, but I was entering seminary. So I kind of thought like with the video stuff too, like, oh, I guess I'm done with this, you know. Um, but then two years later, there was a, a, a continued need at the Pregnancy Ops Center. So we had another concert and uh, just kind of kept doing it. And it kept growing. And now um, this past summer, we had about 2,000 people and raised about $140,000 and uh, just really have a lot of fun with it. And what's cool is I've invited, um, I still write all the music, but the whole band, it's a whole band now that plays and uh, it's all, it's all priests now. So we have a violinist um, from kind of North Texas who plays, and then we've got a drummer from here in the diocese, a pianist from here in the diocese, a good guitarist from Ohio who flies in. And so it's become kind of unintentionally, but kind of beautifully kind of a vocations event too, because it's all priests playing the music. Um, so it's good for vocations. Obviously we're trying to raise money for Houston pregnancy help centers um, to help women in that way. So um, I don't spend a lot of time playing music, but for about a month in the summer, I work really hard on it. And then we put on a show, we, we get together as priests and practice for about two days and then we put the show on and then we all go back to our lives. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a lot of fun for a really good cause. What, what genre of music would you say it is? So we try to really mix it up. So I've got rap stuff. There's hip hop stuff. Um, there's some really slow pieces. Uh, a lot of singer songwriter sort of folksy stuff, some country stuff. So I, I, we work really hard to make it just a very dynamic show. We play videos. I do some break dancing. We do drum solos. So we just kind of try to make it very entertaining and moving from start to finish. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, and this happens every year. Yeah, just about every year. Obviously, with COVID, we had to stop. And there was one other year I was out. I wasn't able to do it. But we've done about 10 of them now. That's powerful. That I got to get to one one day. I definitely. If you Dude, ever that need, would be awesome. You should come you ever, down. Hey, if you need a pre, I don't. I do stand up. Uh, so if you ever need a pre stand up to open up for you, you just let me know. All right. Okay, that's what's plug, up. What's up? Plug, plug, plug. Um, I love it. I, no, that's great, man. I've been I'm like a bit obsessed with uh, Springsteen music lately, and just watching kind of like just how he's working. And he started out kind of folksy, and now he's like you know obviously rock and roll and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have a musical note in my body. I rap. But I can't come up with any music. You know what I mean? I can write lyrics, but, um, but yeah, it's just I, I just love it. I love going to concerts, so I would I would love to. I and I I know some people in your area. Of course, my mind right now is uh, I can't remember their name, but I know who they are. Uh, so uh, so that so that's what's up. By the way, is this all connected? Because I I just interviewed Abby Johnson last week, and she's all talking about like Houston and Texas, and like, is this like near there or where all that happened with the, the that pregnancy center? Or is this like a completely separate thing? No, if you're looking at Abby Johnson stuff, so College Station, which is where a lot of like the stuff from the Unplanned movie happened and like the 40 Days for Life, that's College Station. Oh, then, God. OK. And then that's pretty close by. But Houston for a long time had the largest abortion clinic, I think, in the U.S. So there's a lot. There's a lot there as, as well. Um, so there's definitely a real need down here for, for that work. And now what is uh, Pilgrim Rosary? Yeah, so Pilgrim Rosary, um, we were doing a you know that, so, uh, some long confession days about a year ago, 
And um, there were some ladies who would kind of help and organize the line and prepare people to come to confession, give out the act of contrition and stuff. And they had bought a bunch of uh, little rosaries and they were praying on the rosaries. They were, I mean, they were praying 15 or 16 rosaries a day, probably in the lines. And then they would pray the rosary and then they would give it to people. And I mentioned that to a buddy of mine who's a priest. And he was like, gosh, that's really cool. Um, he said, man, it'd be cool to keep that going, like to keep having people pray the rosary and pass it on. And I said, that would be cool. What if we put like a QR code on the rosary and then people could scan it and like log with the specialized software who they were and where they prayed the rosary on a map and then give it to somebody else. And then they could log it and they could kind of see where their rosary travels and then see where the rosary has traveled and see everybody who's prayed it and where it's gone. And I just kind of had that thought and we were like, gosh, we should do that. Um, and then, you know, it was just kind of, it was kind of back in my head. And then one day I was talking to a buddy of mine um, who does some software development. I mentioned the idea and he was like, dude, I think we could make that for you guys. Um, his name's Eric. He works with Catholify. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, I think we can have it done in probably like two months. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we kind of put together a contract. They set it up. I called the lady I know who works at a Catholic bookstore. And she said she could get us some custom designed rosaries manufactured. And then my dad's company, they literally, um, they, so they test for leaks in refineries. And then the, the components that they use to test for those leaks, um, they, they, they develop those components. And then with the end goal of actually tagging the leak with a small metal that has a QR code on it. So he does a lot of work with this QR code manufacturer. And so we just contacted that manufacturer and they were like, yeah, we can make you guys QR codes for this, whatever this is. And so within like, at that point, within just a couple of months, the Holy Spirit brought everything together and we had the software done, the rosaries in and the QR code uh, medals. And so we just assembled them. A friend of mine is running all the, the shipping and everything of it. And now we have close to 2,500 of those rosaries um, all over the world now. I think it's in five or six continents and uh, people are praying what? on them. And so that's, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect from that. It was just a way of getting people to pray the rosary. You know, like I just am a huge, huge believer in the power of, of the rosary and how that transforms your spiritual life. And so to have a way of inviting other people to pray and even giving people a little bit of zeal, you know, for, for engaging in that prayer was really the goal. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of see, we'll see where it goes, but I've been really happy that people have been blessed by it so far. Father, are you just like completely overwhelmed with everything that you're doing? Like, how do you, how do you, what, what do you do to, to just like calm down? What are some of your hobbies? What, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> um, well, one, I thankfully have a lot of good people who are helping with stuff. So I, my focus is very much still, you know, my parish ministry. And then we spend a little bit of time kind of coordinating some other things on the side. But um, no, for me, I, I just love uh, hanging out with my buddies. Uh, yesterday, uh, a couple of my priest friends, about five of us meet at IHOP at 6 a.m. once a month and just hanging out with those guys and talking about ministry. I mean, I really enjoy that. And then on my day off, just being with my family, um, to kind of depending on what's going on, I enjoy hunting with my brothers um, of course, making music, editing videos. We've got a horse. I like to ride a lot and I like to sail as well. Um, my brother's kind of gotten me into rock climbing a little bit. So, uh, we, you know, we have very limited time off as priests. So you have to kind of pack it in when you have that day off or that vacation. Um, but honestly, I, I enjoy ministry a lot. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I was telling you, I think it was before we actually started, um, you were away with somebody or maybe hiking or something like that. And, and, 
uh, a friend of yours brought like a mask kit, one of the coolest mask kits I've ever seen. And I'm bringing this up because even on your downtime, right? It seems like you're like, it's like, you're not, okay, you have downtime and maybe you're on vacation, but it's not a vacation from your vocation. Like you're, you're still celebrating mass. You're still praying. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit of, of even on your downtime, even hiking it, you know, you're still like the importance of, of still spending time with the Lord, even though we're not, you know, working, you know? Yeah, no, that's so true. I think as priests, we could become so function, you know, related that it can be kind of hard if you're not in ministry to say like, who am I? What am I doing? And I think a friend of mine mentioned the other day that like foundationally as a priest, uh, I belong to Christ, right? We belong to Jesus. And that's independent of whatever ministry we're doing, even if it's very, very important. The sacraments are extremely important. But even if I'm not doing any sacraments, uh, the heart of who I am is that I belong to Christ. I'm conformed to Christ. And so certainly, you know, when we take our day off, um, that foundational truth is very much still in effect. And so, you know, prayer is obviously still very important. Um, daily mass for me on my day off is just a must, you know, got it. That's the, that's the center of the day. Um, and then hopefully, you know, that, that, that healthy recreation can get us back to a place where we come back to ministry even more refreshed. Amen. Uh, recently, I uh, and they, uh, recently I saw uh, a post or an article. Uh, you were interviewed by um, I don't know some big Catholic news company about recently during the season of Lent. Um, you heard confessions for like I, I I'm gonna get the was it like 23 hours straight or something like that? Like what what was this thing that made like the national Catholic headlines about you hearing confessions during Lent? So um, I should kind of start by saying, uh, going into uh, priesthood, I really was excited for confession. I mean, I know, I know, you know, Father, like people would ask all the time, what are you most excited for as a priest, right? That's a question we all get. And of course, I think for all of us, like Eucharist is like celebrating the mass is the high point of our life and our priesthood. But on a human level, I would usually kind of throw in, but I'm also like really excited about hearing confessions. And I just felt the grace of that in my own life. And to be able to share it with other people is kind of mind blowing to me. Um, so it was kind of providential that my first assignment was called St. Faustina, who's like the apostle of divine mercy, you know? Amen. So I was like, okay, God, I see, you You know, like, this is cool. And the priest there was really big on confession and just had a real zeal for it. He'd go for hours, you know, every Saturday we'd go for, you know, two, sometimes two and a half hours, you know, straight. And, uh, you know, it was hard work. It's tiring, but I just had so many moments where I thought, gosh, there's like, nothing else I'd rather be doing in the world right now. Like this is about as meaningful as a moment can be here with this person and then walking in with sin and walking out without sin for me was just mind blowing that I got to do that. Um, and then my, you know, what I started to notice is that before Christmas and Easter, especially Easter, people want to go to confession. Like whether they haven't been in a long time or they just went two weeks ago before Easter, they really want to go. And I thought, hey, you know, if if we were in any kind of market, you probably want to when the customer wants to engage, like that's when you probably want to offer it. Right. So if you're if you're a grocery store before Thanksgiving, you probably extend your hours, you know, like if you're the Apple store before Christmas, you probably extend your hours and you get more staff in there because that's when people want to come. And so I thought for us as a church, we're trying to bring people to salvation. Like we're trying to get people to engage in the sacraments that they go to heaven. So why not when they want to engage in it, why don't we ramp up our provision of it? 
So I asked my pastor, I said, what do you think about me just kind of clearing my schedule for Holy Week um, and then just kind of being available for confession all week? And I'm kind of surprised. He was like, sure. <laughs> he was like, go for it. And uh, I said, okay. And honestly, I expected it to be like just availability. Like I, th I thought I'd get there at 6 a.m. and maybe one person would come before work. And then around like 8 a.m., we'd have a couple people come. And then I'd go in the office and work for a couple of hours. And somebody would call in and say they want a good confession. And I, you know, I thought I'd be kind of answering emails in between. I brought some books to read during the week. Um, so I basically set it up as much as I could each day from Monday to, uh, to, to Easter that first year. And uh, a few masses, like the Christmas mass we had to go to and break for. But overall, trying to make myself as available as possible. And I think it was the first, first morning I pulled in, I think it was 6 a.m. And there were three cars waiting in the parking lot. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, let's see. And uh, it was pretty constant lines like the entire week, almost every day. There were a few breaks, but just enough time to like say liturgy of the hours or a rosary. It was not like time, you know, to, you could just go have lunch or something. Um, and so that first year, it was about, it was close to 70 hours of confession for the week. And it was uh, about 1,100 confessions, I think. And, and the craziest part was Good Friday that first year. We went from, I was there, I think about 6 a.m. till midnight. I stopped for about an hour and a half for the veneration of the cross that day. But otherwise, it was pretty much the whole day. And it was, I mean, just me. I mean, this is how many people came. I, I alone heard 400 confessions just in that one day. I looked at the, the clicker at the end of the day, and I was like, that's insane. Where are these people um, coming from, Father? Are these all parishioners? Like, where, where, how are you getting the word out? Because so sometimes that's, I'm that's sitting it. in the confessional and, you know, I'm like, where is everybody? Yeah. So, so part of it, so that was the first year I was at the other parish. Part of it is that parish had like 15,000 parishioners, you know, and there were three of us priests. So that was a boatload of people. But what I found too is I, I, I did post it on social media and I was just like, hey, here's the confession times. And people, I think, because everybody kind of has somebody that they know that they think could benefit from the sacrament. They would, they would share the post, you know? And so I think what it became is kind of a free advertisement for confession on people's Facebook feeds or on Instagram stories, you know, they're looking at something else, but all of a sudden they haven't been in confession a long time. And it's like, Hey, here's confession times. And I honestly think, um, I guess, I guess I should say too. So this year we did something very, very similar. And I, it was, we had almost the same number of people come to confession and this parish is about half the size of the other parish. Um, so to answer your question, it, it's not, I, I think some people, some people have asked me like if we ran a huge confession campaign and we were preaching on it like every Sunday. And I think I even joke, like it wasn't like we were telling people like, don't go to confession this week, go next week. Like we're trying to pack them into Holy week. You know, there was really none of that. There was really no, I mean, I don't, I don't even think I preached on confessions the week before. What we really just did is we told people we were, we'd be available. And then we posted, I posted on social media, which I think certainly that helped a lot. But for me, Jesus was working in hearts and the Holy Spirit was really doing the rest. Um, and so people just kind of responded in, in droves. So I think it's kind of uh, a perfect storm of uh, parishes here being just pretty big. Um, and then social, social media probably. And then, uh, and then just the, the Holy spirit doing what, what the Holy spirit does calling people in. 
Amen. Amen. You know, Father, this show is called A Holy Mess uh, for a reason. And sometimes we, uh, you know, we get we we get a little real. We could always edit anything out. This isn't live. Um, but uh, I think sometimes people like hearing about like the messiness in the holiness, striving for holiness and the messiness and the, you know, the humanness of 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 um, the humanity of a priest or devout Catholics and stuff. So um, I, like so I'll just ask you some questions like so when you're in the confessional, right? And it, I mean, you're in there 70 hours, I don't know, 18 hours a day. Are there just, so, I'm sure it's amazing, beautiful power, but are you, are there just sometimes that you're like, I can't, if I have to hear one more, like, if one more person walks Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, yeah, you, you know, and I think if people would appreciate it because it's not like, I'm sure you stay there anyway, but it's just like, you know, what is that like? Because I've heard, and I'm also asking for my own because, you know, I've heard of like, yeah, Padre Pio here in confession for like 18 hours a day or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know of like a modern person that is, you know, so I saw that you did it. So I want that ask you like that. I'm like, I wonder if like if he was just absolutely exhausted. Well, what, what's that like sitting in a confession all day? Well, one, I, I mean, you mentioned John Vianney and Padre Pio. Those guys were doing like 18 hours like every day year round, I think, which is I mean, that's wild to think about. Um, it's insane. Um but I know a lot of us priests do a lot during, especially during Holy Week, you know, but that's just like a figment of what they were doing. Wow. Um, but for me, yeah, for sure. I mean, here's one thing I will say. So, um, you know, your brain tends to work proportionally in terms of like, if you're going to hear confessions for one hour, the last like 10 minutes probably goes the slowest. If you're going to hear confessions for two hours, the last like 10 minutes probably goes the slowest. If you hear confessions for 18 hours, the last 10 minutes was the slowest. Like the first couple hours go pretty fast. And you're like, oh, we've already been in here for six hours, you know, because your brain knows you're not getting out to like midnight. Right. So I think one thing that helps is just like you tell people you're going to be there and then you just show up and don't leave till you said you'd leave. That kind of helps your brain that you're not constantly evaluating. Like, am I going to leave right now? You know, um, but Certainly. I mean, I don't mind saying I'm, I'm sure you feel the same thing in confession. Sometimes there are moments when you're just exhausted, you know, you're just exhausted. And yeah. and you're thinking, man, I've been in here in this box for hours and I'm going to be in this box till midnight, you know. And I'll say, too, like it's it's really not too bad when the confessions are going like maybe five or six minutes a piece or maybe even 10 or 15 minutes a piece if the line isn't very long, like in the mornings. I'd have more time with people. I'd be asking questions, really almost making like a little bit of spiritual direction if we had time, you know, try to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you have a few minutes in between confessions, maybe to relax or go to the bathroom or something. But like on Good Friday, Holy Thursday, when they the line starts to get, I mean, there were times we had people in like a hundred people in line and people are waiting like two hours and you feel really bad spending like 10 minutes with one person, you know? And so some of the confessions are going like 90 seconds that's like really exhausting because it's just like boom, 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 absolution, you know, penance, absolution. And like it starts to, you got kind of go crazy because it's like the same cycle. It come in, you know, absolution. And, uh, and, and for me, it's just about uh, really trying to focus on the next person, you know? And um, I saw a thing from a distance runner the other day. He said, if you're running a marathon, like it really is so good to not look really far in the distance and to just like look at your next step, your next step, your next step. And so for me, trying, trying, I mean, it's, yes, I'm a mess in there and it's tiring. And I'd like to say all my thoughts were, you know, super beautiful. You get tired, but I try to foster in myself a sense of like, 
Um, each new person walking in the door is a new soul with a new story, with a new life experience, who's about to encounter the Lord. And in this encounter, there will be a battle between good and evil, and Jesus is going to win. And try to foster like almost a sense of wonder to see like, how is God going to win this battle? And I know he's going to win this one, but how is he going to win this battle? And another person walks in, oh, Jesus is about to win this battle. Um, that whatever this person is going through, if, if they're open to it, like if they're repentant and they're open, Jesus is going to conquer evil within them and give them new life. And to try to foster that in myself to kind of keep, keep going. Um, and then I will say too, you know, you know, by the end of the day, you know, you know, like you said, it's like one more, one more, like you think you're done. And they're like, actually father, someone else just came in and it's like, okay, one more, you know, one more. <laughs> and then um, you're so tired and then you step out and you're done for the day. And, and you kind of can't wait to do it tomorrow, you know, because at the end of it, it's like, what's, what would be a better use of my time? You know, like we are doing the work of Jesus, saving souls here. There's just nothing else I would rather be doing in these moments. Um, so it's not a, someone asked me recently about like, how do you keep the zeal for priesthood? And I'm only four years in, so I'm not a great person to ask. You know, I'm still kind of in the honeymoon phase. But my guess is that whether it's priesthood or whether it's uh, marriage or, or whatever, or just holiness in general, it's not so much about keeping the zeal in terms of like staying inspired and motivated. It's really just about doing what you said you'd do. Like if you said you were going to love her and be faithful to her till you die, then love her and be faithful to you till you die. If you said you were going to be a shepherd for people and be a father and keep your promises as a priest, then do what you said you'd do. And if you said you show up for confessions at this time and you're going to stay till this time, show up for confessions and stay till they're done. And I think that's a big part of, of just holiness, right? Is just doing what you said you'd do. And that kind of that kind of keeps you going, just saying, I said I would do it. And so I'm I'm here. Yeah. And uh, you know, with and well, thanks for doing that. And uh, I'm so glad that that made <clears throat> excuse me. I'll edit that out. Uh, I'm so uh, I'm glad that that made the news because you know sometimes uh, uh, it's like you know we we talk about mercy, we talk about mercy, we say you know people don't go to confession, people go to, and we just we well, the only time like you know we have confessions is one hour a week you know on a Saturday and it's like mm. how could we constantly talk about time and then they're like well just that one hour you know <laughs> oh no no seriously thanks thanks for doing that I you know. And I'm sure there was probably times you don't have to say where like, you know, people are coming in, they're confessing like everyone else is sinning except for them. And they're like, <laughs> uh, wait, so where's your sin in that? Um, <laughs> right. that's, that's a story for another day. Uh, so father to wrap up, I'm so grateful. This is great. And I, I truly can keep talking, but I want to respect your time. And, um, so, all right. So you're on social media, you have, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, what is that like? You know, I mean, what is that? Uh, what is that like? Is that, you know, I know, because I know, we, you know, we priests, like I myself, I struggle. I, and I don't have nearly the followers that you do, but, you know, go on like, oh, did people like this video? Did people share this? How many downloads do I have for my podcast? You know, so I know, you know, but like for somebody that actually does have a following and you're a public figure, um, and, I, and I'm not asking this, by the way, I don't, I'm not asking this just like of you. Like I've asked this of almost everybody else on my show that's like a, a public figure in the Catholic world. Um, you know, what, what, what's that like for you? Is it tough? Is it like people are overly demanding for your time? Uh, how do you stay? Uh, and, and like, how do you stay centered? Yeah. So for me, like social media, 
it's 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 uh i think it was dave Chappelle who said this like it's not a real place <laughs> no like yeah. it's it's uh it's not a real place and so it's not hopefully um something i'm putting a lot of you know too much stock in or weight in um i think it can be a valuable tool to connect with people i think if we're trying to take seriously the message of christ to go to all the nations and to baptize then like social media is a really effective way to proclaim Christ. But I guess the, what helps me, I think to stay probably grounded is um, that C.S. Lewis has a quote, don't ever put your happiness in something that can be taken away. And for me, especially in today's world, any day Instagram cannot like something I posted because it's about faith or it's about morals or whatever and, and cancel my account like whenever they want to. And um, or any day my bishop could say, hey, David Michael, like, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but I'd really like you to um, take a break from social media for something. He hasn't said that. But if he wanted to, I have a promise of obedience, then I would totally do that. And if I put a lot of weight in that, then if either of those things happened, I would feel like kind of lost, you know. Um, and so I guess I try to be pretty intentional, like not to put a lot of weight in that, um, because for me like first and foremost, I belong to Christ, like, like we talked about. And what really gives me joy, I guess, is like actually being with people, the people in the office, the people I talk to after mass, you know, getting to celebrate mass with my people, hear confessions, go to anointings, be with my friends, my family, that stuff that is not likely to go away as fast, you know, um, that's what I really enjoy. I, I just use social media because I think it's an effective way of sharing what I experience. I was telling my pastor the other day um, that for me, everything with social media is kind of just an overflowing of the joy I have from ministry. So if at any point, like I stop drawing the inspiration for social media from ministry, then for me, it's kind of disordered at that point. Like when it becomes a thing for itself, then that's, that's a problem, mm. you know, for me. So it should always be kind of a, additional thing that you can kind of work with. So, um, you know, I, I probably bad at evaluating myself with all those things. Uh, the devil's always trying to tempt us with so many different things, I think, especially as, as priests. Um, so you have to be really diligent, stay really grounded, stay really careful. Um, I would say the only part about social media that is, that for me is the hardest part, which is kind of part of your question. What's difficult is that sometimes people can, um, form an image of you um, based on their own interpretations of things that aren't really you. So I think that can be kind of difficult, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, actually, you can get kind of extreme oh. sometimes perceptions on either end. And that's what can be kind of hard um, because uh, you want people to know you, right? <laughs> and so in social media, you're trying to convey that, but it's hard to convey convey yourself in the way you would that with a personal conversation. So that for me probably is the bigger uh, sometimes point of contention is, okay, I really want to make sure I'm, you know, conveying my authentic self and not being misinterpreted. Yeah, no, thanks. Man. That's it's great. And you keep it bringing it back to being centered in Christ. And then, you know, these external, that's not who we are. And I really like what you said. Uh, I hope I don't misquote you, but don't put our happiness into something that could be taken away. That's what C.S. Lewis said. Yeah, exactly. That's what C.S. Lewis said. Yeah, okay. that's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, don't put your happiness in something that can be taken away. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. And thanks for saying that thing about uh, about obedience too. You know, uh, 
with with your bishop or with my bishop. You know, we don't have to. Uh, I was trying to tell the listeners a couple months ago when something happened nationally about disobedience happening uh, with uh, one of our brother priests. And, you know, I was saying like, you know, we make this promise, not just once, but twice at our diaconate and, right. and at our, and at, and at our, our priesthood ordination. And that's true. We do it twice. Yeah. yeah <laughs> twice. Yeah. We, ironically, we do celibacy once, but obedience. Twice. <laughs> uh, I haven't thought about that. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, and it's not only obedience, but it's, it's actually respect and obedience. Right. Uh, it's respect and obedience. And uh, to him and all of his successors, which yes. is kind of a wild promise to make. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, well, Father, I'm inspired. I'm sure uh, people are going to be inspired. What could we, uh, what could we plug for you, or what are you working on now? Is there anything that you you just want to say before we wrap this up, and then I could put the links to anything in the show notes? I appreciate that. I mean, you actually asked questions about a lot of the stuff I would have said. Um, if anyone's interested in Pilgrim Rosary, they can check it out, pilgrimrosary.com. Um, we do unfortunately have to charge for them because the software and the rosaries and the QR medals do cost money. We couldn't support all of that on, on our own, um, but we'd love to people to be blessed by that ministry. Check it out. If anyone's in Houston or close to Houston, um, we're doing that concert for life again uh, this summer here in Houston, um, July 20th to Thursday. Uh, they can just Google that um, or go to my website, fatherdavidmichael.com and see uh, information on tickets for that. Um, and then of course, if, they, if anyone wants to follow on anything on, on uh, Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, I'm on those platforms. Um, so I think that's, are think you that's on TikTok? it. Are you on TikTok? Yeah, I, I definitely have somebody else post for me on TikTok. TikTok yeah. is weird, but I think they kind of need the gospel there. So I have somebody yeah, post some of my stuff on there as well. So yeah, they could check me out there. As well. What's your favorite out of the four? What's your favorite uh, social media platform? So Instagram just seems to gel with my, uh, my content pretty well. Um, seems to do pretty well there. So I appreciate kind of that short form style. But I'm planning to do a lot more with YouTube. And I think YouTube is is a little bit healthier for people because it's not so not quite as addictively addictive in terms of the algorithm. It seems yeah. to be a little bit healthier and for the brain with the longer videos. So I'm trying to do a little bit more with, with YouTube as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, father David, Michael Moses, uh, thank you for being a guest on a holy mess. That didn't exactly right, but thank you for being here. Uh, I hope that we could connect sometime off the air. I definitely have some more uh, questions about about things, and uh, so yeah, this is great. And uh, I'm gonna we'll we'll end it here, but then I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Uh, so thank you very much, and I'll put the show notes to Father David Michael's stuff. Uh, I'll put the the notes uh, or any links in the show notes or on the YouTube channel. Uh, be sure to check uh, check out his stuff. Really inspiring. Share it. Uh, especially if you think that anybody uh, possibly might have a vocation uh, to the priesthood in any which way, shape, or form, I think it would be a, a really good thing to, to follow his social media. Uh, so thank you for your yes. Thank you for your fiat, Father. And if you could uh, pray for my priesthood, I promise to pray for yours. And um, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the beautiful ministry that you're doing here and the, bless, the way it's going to bless many people. Amen. Thank you. Yeah!